This is episode number 674 with the iconic Tony Hawk. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Jim Rohn said that all good men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we could only imagine. And Tony Hawk has done that for this generation. He is one of the most recognized action sports figures in the world. And according to some marketing surveys, one of the most recognizable athletes of any kind in the United States. He is a pro skateboarder, entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, and so much more. His business skills have helped create a Tony Hawk brand that includes a billion-dollar video game franchise. That's right, a billion-dollar franchise. Successful business such as Birdhouse Skateboards, Hawk Clothing, and a film production company. He has done some incredible things, and he's paved the way for so many people. And I'm excited to dive into this. We talk about what Tony has learned about in creating a successful marriage and family and business life, how to navigate big career transitions when old income sources dry up, whether it's more fulfilling to have relevancy or to be innovative in your craft. Also, where his mind goes when it's time to hit a huge performance, a huge trick in front of the entire world, how he stays focused and present, and how to stay committed to your passion when there's no money in sight within the passion. That and so much more. I'm super pumped. All right, guys, I'm excited about this one. This is with the legendary, the iconic, Mr. Tony Hawk. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off we've all been there you have a question about your credit card you call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a discover card with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right a real person get the customer service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com credit card want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language then check out the language learning program rosetta stone on desktop or as an app rosetta stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process plus the true accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation and with a lifetime membership you have access to all 25 offered languages get started today visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50 percent off your lifetime membership now that's rosettastone.com backslash pod five zero for 50 percent off welcome back everyone to the school of greatness podcast we've got the legend tony hawk in the house good to see you sir Thank you, you too very excited about this we were just chatting offline about um how amazing it's been to see your career as a as a kid watching X Game, watching you do the 900, it was like this monumental moment. And then the video game world blow up for you and just everything continues to blow up. So oh, well, thank you. Congrats on everything. And congrats <laughs> for being an amazing icon for what's possible. I think you are a great symbol. And Rob Deerdeck was just texting me saying how you push the limits constantly and you haven't stopped. And that's what inspired me to want to have you on and interview you because I'm all about how can we unlock our potential. And as a kid, I remember watching, I never skateboarded because I didn't have the coordination as you on a board. But I remember watching the symbol of what you represented and seeing you break your own fears and your limitations in your mind on the X Games. Mm -hmm. 
And that was really powerful for me, and I know for a lot of kids, so I appreciate you. Oh, thank you very much. Being a powerful part of my uh, mental development as a, as a child <laughs> cool. and, and a teenager. Who was the most influential person in your life growing up, would you say? Oh, that's uh, tricky. I think it sort of evolved with different people as I grew up, but for sure at the beginning was my older brother because he was a surfer. He's 13 years older than me, but he was a surfer, and then he started skating when skating kind of just got going in the mid-late 70s. Yeah. And I took a lot of cues from him just in terms of doing something new, something different, and he gave me my first skateboard, so obviously that was hugely influential to really? me. And then once I started skating and, and I really dove into it, he he kind of got out of it. He was in college and doing other. He was a writer. He he cared. I mean, he still skated a little bit, but but he was just more into a career at that point. And there was no career in skateboarding. Nothing. It was yeah, like it a was, thousand people in the U.S. did it. Maybe it was like a hobby maybe, or something. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. really small. And only a handful of skate parks. And so when I really got into it, I was looking towards people to emulate. One of them was Steve Caballero because he was my size. He was actually older than me, but he looked a lot younger. And he was flying out of these swimming pools. And when I saw that in a magazine and I saw this guy my size literally flying, that was that gave me the first the first fire to be like, I want to, how does he do that? I want to learn to do that. And then I went to the skate park and I saw people doing it live and I made it my mission to do that. And then as I got sort of as I started learning moves and things, the, the, the person I took cues from them was uh, the skater Eddie Alguera because he was the most innovative skater as far as I was concerned at a time when skating was kind of really low in popularity and learning new tricks was not cool. It was almost like you're a circus act. Why not? Why was it not cool? Because skating was more about the style and the raw power and, you know, and looking like you're surfing and it was this Dogtown and Z-Boys and, and, and people who do tricks were considered robots. That was truly it. Like, oh, look at that robot. And I was this little kid. I didn't have the cool style and the big power. And I was like, I want to do that stuff. Tricks, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that looks awesome. <laughs> yeah. So one of the first sort of pro-level tricks that I learned was a frontside rock and roll because that was Eddie's trick. That was a signature move. Maybe three people could do it. And because I could do it, I couldn't do many other tricks, but because I could do that, they bumped me up classes of competition. And they said, well, he can do frontside rock, so he belongs in the 3A division. Wow. And I didn't know if that was good or bad. It felt bad at the time because really? then I was competing against guys who were much better than me. How old were you then? Oh, 11, 12. Yeah. And you turned pro at 14, is that right? Yeah, but, you know, that seems like... You're not making any money as a pro. You're not making any money. There's no, there's no ceremony. You basically check the box for pro in the entry form of the competition instead of <laughs> amateur. That was it. That, that was that. it. You said, I'm a pro now. That's it, yeah. I was self-proclaimed professional. No one said you're in a pro league now or are you No, it just meant that it meant that I was competing against other skaters and I was competing for a hundred dollars first place. Right. And if that you won it. money, then you're a pro, I guess. Yeah, so it was a hundred for first, seventy-five for second, and fifty for third. Crazy. This is the late eighties, is that right? Early eighties. Early eighties. Yeah, well eighty so let's see, eighty two, eighty three. Got it, okay. I was born in 83, so skateboarding was okay. skateboarding was nothing yeah. then. It was very small. Let's put it this way. When I was, so I'm 14, I started winning a few contests. I had about $600 in the bank. I bought a moped, and that was a big deal. It was a huge deal. Huge, because I could get to the skate park on my own. Wow. And you grew up in San Diego, <laughs> in right? San Diego, yeah. And so luckily, it was a skate park near you in San Diego. I got very lucky in that the one park that was near me would, became the only one that remained in California. Really? Yeah. I believe that if I didn't have that facility, I probably wouldn't have been successful or, or been able to continue skating. Wow. So a lot of it was where you grew up, having the other influences around you that inspired yeah. you. Obviously, you had talent, but if you didn't have the environment, you don't think you'd be where you're at? I don't know. It would have been, it would have been a struggle. Really? There were some skaters that came from the East Coast during that time that didn't have parks but built their own ramps and would shovel snow off and... I didn't know if I had that kind of commitment to it, yeah. you know? I mean, I would have loved to have done it, but I don't know if I would have put that much effort into it. Sure. How do you stay committed to something? Because when, I guess, skateboarding kind of died out for a number of years, before you hit the 900, it was kind of like dead, and then it came back a little bit. How do you stay committed to your passion when there's no money in something? Uh, I did everything I could to make ends meet. It was just sort of making compromises in terms of lifestyle and expense. And also taking any opportunity and, and just putting myself out there. 
I was hustling a lot in terms of trying to get random work and things like that, like through the uh, early 90s, mid 90s. Anything that, that involved skating or like stunt work or even camera work. I mean, like I, I did camera work on a Frosted Flakes commercial because they wanted someone to ride on a half pipe and follow someone. And it wasn't, I wasn't getting the job of acting, but they knew I had the skill to do that. Editing videos. I mean, at some point I, I at least had enough editing equipment that I could do projects that were outside of skateboarding. So I did random little businesses and I was doing it for dirt cheap, but it was paying my mortgage. So that was pretty much it. And, and then whatever would allow me to skate. And, you know, I, and I, I became the sort of go-to consultant for any skate, um, any uh, production that needed skating in it. They would come to you and ask you, like, what yeah. looks good, what's the angle, what's the location, all that stuff. Yeah, basically. I was consulted on a Coke commercial for Japan. But you weren't, act- you weren't the skater. They would get I wasn't, to- but every once in a while they would need, suddenly I just get thrown into it. Right. Because we do need another skater. You do it. Then I would start getting residuals and then. Amazing. So they would hire someone else, but they probably weren't as good as you, right? To like model. Sometimes, yeah, but I just, you know, I wasn't the right stunt double type oh, yeah. or body typer. I wasn't Japanese in this case, so. Got it, yeah. <laughs> was there ever a time when it was a downtime that you thought you were going to give up skateboarding as like a, a profession or hopefully a profession and go do something I, I else? I kind of did around, the, around those years because I wasn't relying just on my skating to pay the bills. I was doing the, these other things Sorry. like I told you and it was trying for sure. Really? Yeah, and, and we had just started a skate company, a skate brand, and we're trying to, I'm trying to support that and I'm trying to keep that afloat and with very little success at the, at the time. But it was more, what I learned was that I would do this, the same thing I was doing for free. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I was getting paid for it, I was getting paid pretty well for it, and then my income, my salaries dropped off significantly, in some cases, completely. And I realized that I just loved doing it. I would, I would do it for free any day, you know, and getting paid is just incidental. And then as things came back around, it was suddenly like, I'm getting more money than I ever imagined. I mean, even today I get paid ridiculous amounts to ride my skateboard and I would just go do it for free any day. So that's what made you realize that you would do it for free anyways. You keep pursuing it just because yeah, you and, it. Yeah, and if I'm gonna go, if I'm gonna have to follow a different career to make money, I mean, I understand reality. I understand that at some point maybe skateboarding was not a, a key to career mm-hmm. and I'd have to do something maybe I went into video editing I mean I learned how to com- learned how to use computers very early on so I would always be the one called for tech support and stuff like that so I felt like all right I have that skill set I can go pursue that if I want to but I always knew that even if I did that I would still find time to skate yeah what advice would you give to people who have a passion but maybe they're not able to pursue it on a professional level maybe there's not that big of a market for them maybe it's in a downturn in their industry and they feel like they have to go work something else they don't love to make money. If you're following a passion for a business, you have to go all in and you have to take that risk just to see it through, to see if it will work. And I think that the thing that people don't realize is that sometimes it takes way longer than you ever imagined. And a lot of times you have to learn different skills and different techniques and nuances that you never would have been interested in or cared about. When I started the skate company, I didn't know anything about marketing. I didn't know anything about purchase orders or displays or retail or wholesale. I just wanted to make skateboards and have a cool team. Right. But there were only three of us in the office, so I had to figure out how to do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I just embraced it, and it it definitely was an advantage to me later on because I did understand those things. And when people are talking shop about different brands and stuff, I know what they're discussing, and I actually have valuable input. Yeah. But a lot of people just want to do the thing they love and not really get out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the advantage and, and you just learn everything about your craft. That's it, yeah. When skateboarding hit its kind of peak and then you did the 900 and then all this stuff kept rising for you and you kind of rose to fame overnight is what it seemed like from the outside. How did you handle that emotionally or mentally where you had all this news and press and attention which seemed like overnight? So what you're speaking of was sort of my second wave of, of success. Yeah. So I had already kind of lived through this first wave of success in the 80s, which was very strange because it was, we were more applauded for our sort of renegade attitude and graphics and hairdos as opposed to our actual talent. physical talent. <laughs> yeah. And that died off very quickly. And, and 
licensing was like, it just meant that you signed a piece of paper and someone had the rights to your name and they just went crazy with it with really bad products. Mm. So I kind of learned a lot through that process. And then when it came back around again, I was at least prepared in terms of keeping my integrity and my quality control because I already had made these mistakes in the 80s. But what I wasn't ready for was the amount of attention that that skateboarding got and me personally. I never signed up to be rich or famous. I never thought that was a was an option. No one had gotten that far. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of people get into sports, kids get into sports because they can make a career out of it. They can they can get the million dollar contract. And skateboarding was like, by the time you reach 18, you better find a job. You're out. Like you're you old. Make all your money in the first three years. You know, there was years. no money. Yeah. There, maybe you make a hundred grand if there's like three or four people, maybe, right? Or not even that. I mean, really? truly, like when, when I like when I said when I turned pro, you know, we're competing for $150. Like, <laughs> right. No one was making and, and if you're over 18 and you're trying to pay rent, that just doesn't work. That we never aspired to be rich or famous. And so when that that stuff came, it was very foreign. You know, when when a lot of times people are aspiring to that, they get a taste of it, then they lose their motivation because it's like, oh, I got everything I wanted. Mm. And I never was looking for that. So I was always motivated to keep skating. And I think that's what saved me. A lot of my friends kind of fell off when they when they had those those experiences with success because suddenly they were just caught up in the party and the and the hype and they weren't skating anymore. And then you don't hear about them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it's over. And and so I got lucky in that if nothing else, that success allowed me to skate more and skate better. Right. How did you ma- manage the emotions of it all? Like all the attention, all the interviews. I mean, um, greatest athlete in the, you know, in the USA or the most well-known and all these titles. I think it was just more learning to treat everyone with respect. And that came from being a, an impressionable kid and seeing some of my heroes and some of them were jerks. Really? Yeah, and, and that just crushes you as a kid. It's the worst thing that could happen where you meet these guys that you look up to, your heroes, and and they're not nice. <laughs> and they, they discard you because you can't do anything for them. And I think that through the years, I I just learned it from experience. You know what I mean? And also and also having my own kids mm-hmm. and seeing them, how people treat them. And, and it's just more like, I'm so thankful to be here. I know I'm absolutely, like, this is one of the luckiest things that could have ever happened. I, I, and... and beyond any dream come true, and, and I don't take it for granted. Yeah. And I still don't. Yeah. Did you feel like you went through a challenging time during that to, to manage it all, though, or is it kind of— Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it was, it was easy to get caught up in the, <laughs> in the hoopla. And, and, and the hype. Yeah, and also just in terms of being distracted and trying to raise kids. I mean, I, I, had, to, I had to wrestle with that for years because there were things that I was choosing to do that absolutely were not priorities, but really? seemed like— that's what you do if you're in this scene, if you're on the radar of talk shows and, and, and charity. Like, these guys want you to go to, to France for a charity event over the weekend. Why wouldn't you do that? And at some point it was like, well, because it's not necessary. Yeah. And, and it's taking you away from your family. And, mm-hmm. and you're just doing it because the attention's on you. Yeah. What type of dad do you want to be? One that's present. One that, that leads by example. And I feel like... That definitely has has shined through in recent years for my kids. Really, where they see me, where I'm, you know, really do our schedule's crazy, and and our kids are all over the place, and they're all different ages, and we are there for them in the important times, and and when they need guidance. Mm. When you were kind of growing in the fame and building the businesses and launching brands, how did you manage intimate relationships with your partners or? Because you've been married a couple times, there, right? Yeah. How do you how, did, how do you well, navigate they're, managing? They're all different, yeah. <laughs> you know. The stresses were different at each time, and and the dynamic was different. And they all, you know, I am as much to blame as anyone, but right. they all sort of fell apart for different reasons. But a lot of it was because of my schedule, and my fame, and 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 my choices. Yeah. And I accept that. And it was uh, wasn't really until recent years that I figured out that. I'm comfortable in my own skin mm. and that I don't need to be always doing something or, or be distracted. And that also, you know, the choices I make and, and the people I was with, the dynamic wasn't the best for a, a healthy, for a soft, for a healthy yeah, yeah. relationship, yes. Did you ever feel like you weren't uh, comfortable in your own skin? 
at that. Yeah, I think so, especially once I got a lot of fame and, really? and a lot of money, yeah, because I just, I didn't know what, where I belonged. And like I said, a lot of people, that's what they strive for. And then once they get there, they think, this is where I belong. I should be having all this, the fancy cars and the big houses and, the, and, and be showy about it. And at some point I was more disappointed that I ever followed that path. Really? Yeah, disappointed in yourself? Yeah, for sure. You thought you were like, being too like, showy? Or? Yeah, it was just really? like, why do you have to be on MTV Cribs? Right, I remember that episode, that was pretty But you know what right? I mean, like, just, just to show off <laughs> right, all right. The, the cars and the, the house. big stuff you bought, like, yeah, yeah but they know you have money. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it's like all the bling and all that stuff. None of that stuff matters in the end. When you see people showing that stuff off, maybe on social media, their cars or their house, do you feel like they shouldn't be? Or do you feel like? They can do what they want. No, I don't, I don't pass judgment on it. I'm just saying for in, in terms of myself, it just wasn't important. Wasn't important. I can tell you a lot of times when I see that flash on social media, I can tell that they're doing it beyond their means. Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because when you see certain entertainers, you're like, they're not making that much that. money. Yeah, yeah. Come on, that stuff's on loan. There's no way that's happening, you know? <laughs> not totally but, you gotta put up, but, but in their world, you gotta project that image and that's what counts and, and yeah. I accept that. It's hard to live up to that though, consistently, Oh, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. And you know, I wanna provide for our kids. <laughs> I'm not trying to blow it all. Right, yeah. I don't know if you'll ever blow it all. Yeah, well, the video game royalties have dried up, but hey, we're, we're working on a new ones, so. Yeah, there you go. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this, assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's been the biggest lesson in marriage that you've learned while you drive to be, you know, follow your dreams and pursue your career path and your businesses, but also having a, a healthy, thriving relationship? What's been the biggest Biggest lesson or the biggest piece of advice you have for other people who yeah. are in that path? Be supportive and... She's smiling, yeah. She's like, yeah, <laughs> and I think also just be open. Talk about the things that are, that are concerning you before they fester. Yeah. Don't let them get to the point where they're so big that you can't talk about them. And then there's just the elephant in the room and the tension and the, and the quietness that, you know, that will just kill relationships so fast and... Ours is super challenging because, like I said, I have many priorities, not priorities, but many obligations. My priorities are our kids 
And those things sometimes don't line up because got to go do the thing that makes the money for our family to thrive. And, but we find time and we work really hard at it. It's work, but it's yeah. worth it. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there was a time where you didn't communicate well? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, and, and I just didn't really understand. When I was a kid, my parents were from the 50s and they were not showing love outwardly. Right. You know, I didn't grow up in a, in a very loving home. It wasn't like they hated each other, but it definitely just... They didn't show affection. They not at all, yeah. And, and to me, only through their actions, not through their words. And so I didn't really grow up learning, understanding intimacy like that. And I never wanted to really embrace that because I thought it was going to be too hard or I just didn't, I didn't know. You thought embracing intimacy would be too hard. Yeah, or just scarier. I didn't really understand it is the scary. process. Yeah, and, and, and opening yourself up like that. And, and it just seemed like I had these sort of ridiculous notions of what marriage and parenting are supposed to be. And you, you do this, and you get childcare, and you do this, and this, and this, and this is how it works. You know, it was all like Ozzy and Harriet, and it was, it was just such a lie. Yeah. And to present, you know what I mean? You would present this falsehood of contentment. Happy, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like fake book. You know, it's like... Yeah. This is my life. That's not really your life. Those are the cool pictures of your life. It's like Instagram showing off the car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Projecting but that's it. not that's not, not the real. core of it. And I feel like I've just come to understand and and come to terms with the reality of everything and presenting it as real. Mm-hmm. I am what you see is what you get. Right. You know, I'm not. There's no other facade of, yeah. of fantasy out here. What's been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome, let's say, in the last 20 years, 15 to 20 years, for you personally, the biggest breakthrough that you've had to <clears throat> overcome? Honestly, I think it was in recent years, I started losing a lot of my endorsements really? just because of like the way that sponsorships work nowadays. It's all more based on your social media, and they're all short-lived, and, and I was living through by year or multi-year contracts. And just by sheer coincidence, all of them sort of ended all at once. Wow. And it leaves you with a sense of not knowing your value. Hmm. It's hard to explain, but it was like all of a sudden, it was like, well, I haven't changed what I do. I'm not getting worse at what I do. Why is everyone bailing out? <laughs> and I think that I had to, I had to wrestle with... Huh what is my sense of value and, and how do I navigate these waters and still do what I love? And I kind of figured it out on my own, but very much like had to believe in myself more than ever. Wow. Where I believe that what I'm doing is still relevant and what I'm doing still has resonance and that people hopefully are still interested in it. And I kind of figured out how to make those I don't want to say make those ends meet, but but fill those voids in terms of finances and in terms of being out there through my use of social media. Wow. Um, and, and suddenly I found myself getting different deals because of what I was doing out there on social media and how I was presenting myself out there. It wasn't just social media and because I was absolutely skating as hard as ever. And then I just started putting out video parts myself. And that was just a weird notion. It used to be, if you're in a video, it's because your team made a video and you're working towards that video and it's a group effort and, and you present it as the team video. And it was more like, I got to get busy, get some tricks on video and, and make a video section and just put it out there. And, and luckily with technology now, you can. Right away, yeah. Right away, yeah. Do you feel like this, um, since these sponsors are looking for you know social media followers or they're looking for the younger guys that are coming up in this yeah and, and that's not lost on me either i mean i i know i'm 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 the old skater dude i'm i'm like the guinea pig for how far you can push this right, right. in terms of age and so that that was never a secret to me but it, but it did feel like all of a sudden like why all at once mm. um yeah. and and it was a lot of it was because our industry was struggling surf skate industry the companies they were all really having hard times and that was, you know, I was a byproduct of that. Yeah. Do you feel like you need to chase relevancy still then? Do you feel like if I'm not putting out videos or if I'm not with these skaters or with I think these it's more, it's more my pride than anything that is in terms of what I think is relevant. 
So every once in a while, like, I got to go learn a new trick just because I feel like I'm really still doing it. Not because I want everyone to be like, look, everyone, I did something new. It's just more like for you. I got to feel good about what I'm doing. And it's not going to be some groundbreaking new spin or anything, but it's just maybe a little thing that I thought of and figured out how to make my board move differently. And it's like, oh, it's a new trick. That's cool. And what's the biggest fear for you right now at this stage of your life? It's mostly just for the peace of mind for our children and, and giving them the opportunities to chase their dreams and being supportive. And, and I think it's more that any of them feel slighted in terms of our time or support. That's one of the hardest things to, to deal with because, like I said, we have kids. We have, we have a couple. We have one in college. One's going to college. Two are at home, and they all have different interests. They all have different priorities. Mm, and, yeah. and we want to be equally supportive to all yeah, of them. Of course. How do you raise kids with your fame and the financial success you've had? How do you raise kids to feel like they can go out and do it on their own or not either living off of your name or what you've built and they still have the desire to chase their dreams? How do you teach instill that? First, by example. Absolutely. They've, they've seen that I've, I've sort of built this, whatever it is, this business or, or the success through my own actions and through my own perseverance and over the years and creativity and whatnot. But I think that they all want to stand out on their own. You know, especially like my, my oldest son is a pro skater. He definitely had, you know, he's living in my shadow, so to speak, in terms of what's expected of him. And he really found That's his own. pressure. It is, but, but he, he found a way to make it his own. He's a different style of skater. He's more street, he doesn't compete but he's learned how to be very creative and have his own following and, and his own style and his own, really his own vibe. And I'm really proud of him for that because I think my success discouraged him initially from skating. And so uh, our other kids, they're excited to pave their own way. I think that's, that's the best way of putting it. They, they all are motivated to continue their schooling. They're all motivated to find a, their own niche or career. And I'm really proud of how they are hustling for themselves. Yeah. It's funny, you know, like, like my oldest son, they, don't, they definitely don't just rely on our money. Like my oldest son, when he's got downtime at home, well, not my oldest, my second oldest, he'll be a DoorDash driver. Really? Yeah. Hustling. Hustling, yeah. And, and it's not hard, but obviously this party is like, well, how much are you really making with that? But at the same time, like, hey, I'm proud of you for... Work make it. it working at it, yeah. Like, go do it. Yeah, learn how to be responsible. Mm. I'm curious about the way you think in the most challenging times during competition. You know, I think of the 900 moment and watching you struggle and fail over and over and not land the trick over and over, and then you have one chance left. You had many moments like that in lots of competitions. I'm assuming that just weren't captured like that, where the pressure was on. You've had to nail the trick or the moment. Where does your mind go in those moments when there is all that pressure to perform at the highest of your ability? I think the first thing is telling yourself you can do it. That's my only key to mm. true success is, is having the confidence. So if I'm in that moment and I know I've got to absolutely put it all at risk, I feel capable of doing so. That's one of the first things that you have to, and if you, if you go in with any sense of doubt, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And whatever, you, whatever the worst case scenario is that you think of, that's what's going to play out in the end. Yeah. So, um, so don't think of the worst case scenario. Or this is it. This is, if you're ever going to make this trick, I mean, like exactly with the 900, I, I, I have been trying it for years. I've been trying it on 10 years, ramps. Right? Yeah, almost 10 years. And you never landed it in no, practice. Uh -uh. No, but you know, I, I was trying it on backyard ramps. I, every once in a while, I'd have my friend shoot video. Like, today's the day, maybe. And I have him shoot video. And I definitely gave him my all. I mean, like, I've, I've actually, like, landed it a couple times, broke my rib mm. on the bottom of the ramp. But I was there. And then when they started having best trick competitions through the year, and so a couple of them I tried 900s, but I don't know. I just didn't, I, I wasn't feeling it that day or whatever it was. And then when the X Games happened and my spin was, it was, was more about the ramp. The ramp was ideal for that situation because it was kind of sticky and it was a lot of, it was really big. And so, big for what was big then. Right. Now we have- Now it's small, right? Yeah, yeah, now we have 30 foot ramps. But so I started spinning it and, and it was consistent and I could see, I could spot my landing and it was like, 
well, if you're ever gonna really make it, this is the time to make it. And so it, it was the same mindset when I broke my rib. When I, that was the one. I was like, I'm gonna make it. This is the one I'm gonna make. I'm, I'm putting it on the wall. I'm gonna commit to it. And I fell forward. You broke your rib. Broke my rib, yeah. But, but I did land. You landed, it got So you. it was yeah. there. It was close. It was definitely in the back of my mind. It was like, was there? And so at at the X Games, when I, when I finally was committing to it, I was leaning back a little bit to compensate for that broken rib. And if you watch it play out, you'll see that the first couple I land, I was leaning too far back. Kind of falling on your knees, right? Well, no. Well, it wasn't. They were always on your knees, but but instead of instead of committing to my front leg and Uh falling forward, I was more leaning back and and I was shooting out. But you got to commit all the way to land it. Well, I had to find the balance between between leaning too far forward and leaning too far back. And how many times did you fall before? Ultimately, you... that's what happened. I don't really know. I think it was, I think it was ten or eleven. But oh, um, I don't have many more each time I do it. Like I only have generally about fifteen or twenty in the bank before done. I'm exhausted or before I get hurt. And this was the last moment, the last chance. Well, not really. I mean, that that it could have gone longer if you had more energy. No, it was just that the time for the event was already over. Over, got it. Yeah. So they were just allowing me to keep trying it. Got it. And it wasn't like I didn't think it was going to count for the competition. I just wanted to get done. Right. And that's the mindset of skating. You know, and it wasn't for the glory. It was just like I'm going to finally get this trick. I'm finally, I'm finally in the mode. I'm finally can do it. And I never thought that they're going to put it on TV. I never thought oh. that they're going to they would let me win after the time had run out because that's just never how it was. You know, when I learned 720s, which is a double spin, I learned it on a, I literally learned on a backyard ramp in Stockholm, Sweden in 1985 with three people watching me Mm -hmm. and no video. Yeah. That's what I was used to, you know, in terms of learning new tricks. That's the scenario. So all of a sudden it was broadcast live on ESPN. It was like a sports center highlight. I wasn't ready for any of that. Nor did I expect it. You just wanted to land a trick. I would start walking through airports at that time, and and people would would stop me. And Tony Hawk nine hundred, and I was like, "How do you know? Right. How, why do you care?" Yeah, it, <laughs> it was, was iconic. Weird. It was iconic. After that moment, when you were still competing, how were you able to work through the pressure of competition without like, "Oh, I've got to land the bigger trick and the bigger trick." Well, I always have that in my head. I've got to step it up or. I've got to do my best. So, do you feel like you were able to thrive under the pressure better with the pressure and the attention, or better without it? Then it all depends. Yeah, I got to the point where, when I was truly just in competition mode, I would get to the point where I would practice so much that I would have a really difficult routine dialed in, so it it just seemed like robotic to me. It was it was almost boring. You'd done it so much. Did in practice. so much, yeah. And then I would have this a handful of tricks in my back pocket that. If I needed to step it up, I could do a harder trick here, 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 but generally it was the same, same line, the same routine. And it wasn't until after that, when in 1999, when I, when, you know, I always said that was going to be, I didn't always say, but that year I decided it was going to be my last year of competition before the year started. <laughs> so when I made the 900, it was like, oh, I, now it's just beginning. Good out. <laughs> Oh, it was the out, yeah. Yeah, that was it. It was like, okay, we end on a high note. Right. And, and you know, I, I did a couple contests after that, but I knew at the end of the year, like, that was going to be it. But then it allowed me to start doing exhibitions, and that's when I created the Boom Boom Hakcham Tour, which was skateboarding, motocross, and BMX. And it was our sports as entertainment. And in doing so, I found a new way of skating shows that I hadn't... Mm explored before and that was really exciting and honestly those were my best years of skating like I was skating way better in those shows than I was in any competition yeah because I was loose and even though yeah we were doing routines and we didn't want to fall but if you did fall you could get up and try again and the crowd liked that you can't do that in a competition right (laughs) you know generally you can't in a best trick competition to an extent yeah but they really liked that aspect and we were creating really complicated routines of incorporating everyone all together. And it was more like I found this new, this new avenue of performing, and it was a blast. Wow. Was that kind of like pre-Nitro Circus then, right? It was, it was yeah. Yeah, actually, we went to the first live Nitro Circus show. Really? And uh, <laughs> I've, I've actually said this to them, so it's not, sure, sure. It's not any big they shock. They stole but, your idea pretty much, yeah. But, well, no, it wasn't that. It was that, it was that we had big half-pipe in the middle of the arena floor. We had 
a motocross track that went around the outside, jumped over the half pipe, and wow. then jumped over the half pipe. And then we had this giant ramp that came in from the ceiling, and then a jump for us to go over the ramp through the middle. And then this 20-foot quarter pipe, it was like this, it was about, a, it was about $2 million worth oh of ramps that filled the floor. We went to the first Nitro Circus show, and it was basically the, the roll-in and a jump and a landing and an airbag. And they were filling arenas left and right. Crazy. And I was like, is that all I had to do? <laughs> yeah, just make a really big was, jump into the yeah, airbag. I was like, I was and, I was, and every year we'd step it up. Like, okay, we do that, all right, now we have the loop. So I'd have the same company build us a loop. Oh my gosh. And the loop is five minutes of the show because once you see them going around the loop. You're like, all right. Yeah. Trick's Next. over. Next. Yeah. <laughs> so it's different. Right. How hard is that, going in a loop? Uh, it seems almost impossible. It's funny. It's not... When you do it, what it takes physically is not hard at all. The mindset of not turning, of not hitting a ramp and turning around is so hard to get through. And I see plenty of people who really want to do it and they never can make that turn in terms of understanding that you're riding one track and you're not coming down the same side. You know what I mean? As a ramp skater, your instinct is once you get here, turn around and go back. Uh-huh. And so when you finally... Right, when you finally determine that it is this, this sort of carve and it's not a trick, that's when it works. Mm-hmm. That being said, one false move and break your pelvis like I did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm curious about the, the video game uh, explosion because when your games came out, this is what, the, the 2000s, right? Early 2000s when it yeah. kind of came out. Mm-hmm. This kind of took skateboarding, it seemed like for me, on a whole new level of awareness. Is that right? Around the world? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think, uh, if nothing else, it created a fan base for skating that hadn't existed before in terms of the people that used to love skating, I would say in the 80s, early 90s, were only skaters themselves. Mm -hmm. There was no one watching from at home thinking like, Cool McTwist. Yeah, it I didn't watch a, before that. Yeah, I was like, it just wasn't. Because I didn't skate. And they didn't understand it. And so I think what our video game allowed them to do was to appreciate the dynamics of skating and the difficulty of it. And then suddenly there was a, a this fan base of people who played our games that suddenly understood trick names and understood locations and, and got to know some of the, the figures. And, yeah. and it was it was crazy. It was crazy how... It exploded and suddenly we were thrust into the spotlight and 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 people and it inspired kids to start skating. That was probably the best byproduct of our video games is that it really inspired a few, not a few, thousands of kids to pick up skateboards and try it for themselves. Really? Did the industry in general get bigger then? Like yeah. clothing and yeah, gear absolutely, and, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And you had a lot of those brands as well. You had um, yeah, well, game. our Birdhouse brand was definitely the one that that was affected the most positively because up to that point, we were still kind of struggling with the brand and, and keeping it alive. I'd say from the years 92 to 97 were very trying. And then 97, it started to turn, and then the game hit and... Blew up. Yeah, blew up. What's the thing you've still yet to uh, create or achieve that you haven't done yet? Oh, that's a good question. I've never been able to work on some sort of either TV or movie that that truly captures the, the spirit of skating beyond like Dogtown Z Boys era. And I think that that's long overdue. Mm. I know Jonah Hill is working on something. I have something in the works. It's more of a comedy of of sort of an older school group of guys that are trying to skate. You know, ones that were skating in the eighties and whatnot. But but I feel like there's there's room for something in between there that, that really has a lot of heart. and A TV um, series or a movie? I think a TV series. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is 
already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Yeah. Have you seen that new uh, Karate Kid show on no. YouTube? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, yeah. It's like the Karate Kid comeback. Uh-huh. Now they're older and they're like competing against each other. Okay. Uh, the actors. Uh-huh. And uh, maybe there's something that would like the old time skateboarders do like a series. I don't know. Maybe that's the comedy series. Yeah, I think well, that that's what I mean. I, think, I feel like when when you're doing with the old with all the old school guys, that that leans more towards comedy. But I feel like something that does take place within that era that was very sort of experimental in the '90s. But that being said, I am working on a on a Broadway project with Mark Mothersbaugh that is a reality where we bought the rights to a Nick Hornby book called Slam about a, a, a teenage skater who, uh, about a teenage pregnancy, but the kid skates. Wow. And we want to bring live skating and Mark's music and the story to Broadway. Wow. Um, and I feel like that is, that is something really exciting to me because it, it feels like something that's very unique and it's going to be a fun challenge. And I mean, for me, it's the dream team. Like Mark Mothersbaugh, I've just been a huge Devo fan and all of his soundtrack work through the years. And then uh, I've read all of Nick Hornby's books. So Wow. It's pretty exciting. You're already working on that? Or We're working on that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. You've got a, a new game as well for the... Uh, yeah, a mobile game I'm working with. I'm working with Maple, Maple Media. We're doing a mobile game, skating game. For the iPhone or Android or... Both, yeah. 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 That's going to be on October. It's not yet named. I mean, I know what the name is, but they're not announcing it yet. But it'll be out there. It's pretty cool. I think we've done really well for the limitations of a phone. Okay, cool. So if we searched Tony Hawk in the App Store in October, we'll find it. In October, yes. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. Or if we follow you on Instagram, I'm sure you'll be announcing it. Oh, oh, yes, yes. You'll be promoting it everywhere. Absolutely. What's the question you wish more people would ask you about? (laughs) What you've covered in terms of balancing family life, you know, that, that's something that people don't try to dive into. It's not really the big celebrity type of stuff, but, but I think it's important. So I feel like you really covered it. And, and just in terms of trying to give guidance to others who might be getting into those kind of situations where, you know, at some point you have to really embrace your responsibilities as well as your success. Yeah. I think the reason I ask that is because there's a lot of driven entrepreneurs or people that are passionate about their career, the businesses that they're creating who listen, or their passions. And sometimes we can get caught up too much in the passion and not enough in the connection with oh, family members. Yeah. And, you know. yeah. and also just, just learning to play. That's a huge, important thing that people forget about. They get so caught up in the day-to-day and the kids and the school and the work. And then it's like, just you got to remember to goof around. Do you goof around a lot? Yeah, with the kids, for sure. Yeah. and uh, Kids probably make you goof around because you got to play with the toys with them. And Yeah, yeah. And we've become the, the go-to house for the VR. So... <laughs> That's been pretty fun. That's cool. We we like it's sort of a it's sort of a hazing process when people come. Like you got to play put on the VR. We're really? Put, we're, we put you in the scary game. Oh man! Just How so we can video the their reactions. How scary is it? <laughs> well, some of them are, are way too scary, but some are really fun. Really? Yeah. And that's another thing I would love to do is make a VR skating game. But at wow. this point, at this point, I don't. I'm not have any leads on it. And also, it's tricky because if it's really it's if if it's a reality based skating game and you're really skating, it's probably gonna cause motion sickness, so. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very motion sick. <laughs> like any type of spinning, I get dizzy and, yeah. and nauseous. I went to Disneyland a few years ago with my girlfriend. We went in a simulator. It was the first ride we went on, it was a simulator. I think it was a Star Wars. 
and I literally started sweating profusely. My whole body was oh, like yeah. 15 seconds. Oh, you wanted to start tours. I think that's what it was, yeah. yeah. I was sitting there, I took the glasses off instantly, it didn't help. It was like, I was so <laughs> gone. I was in the nurse's office for the next six hours of the day. When <laughs> it was like so embarrassing. I always want to do rides, but when they go upside down and do crazy stuff, it's like, I'm done. I don't know what wow. it is. I don't yeah. know how to train myself to get beyond that. Yeah. I've sort of had to not force, but strongly suggest my daughters to, to my daughter to do that. Yeah. Cause she always is very hesitant about like, let's just go. Let's just, oh, what if, what if, or like, what if I'm 50 years old? No, what ifs have been happening to me? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> What's the thing you want more people to know about you that they maybe don't know? I don't know. I don't, I never really think in those sort of lofty terms. Yeah. I'm just thankful to be here. Yeah. And all this stuff that, that I've been able to do and experience and people that I get to meet, like, it's beyond any dream. You know, when people say, is this, the, are you living the dream? Like, I never imagined this. This dream didn't exist. We're creating the dream. Mm. It's insane. And it's just, it's super fun. The one thing you might not know about me is I'm tired. <laughs> you're tired. <laughs> yeah, because our general. schedule's insane. You're nuts. You're going to Detroit right after this. You're traveling all the yeah, time. Yeah, I'm taking a red eye to Detroit to skate there tomorrow. That kind of stuff where people don't, you know, they think it's all glamorous and it's a lot of work. Yeah, you're being like carried through town and being feathered, and it's just like, no, I'm, <laughs> you're tired. I'm getting yeah. off of red eye, and I'm gonna go rent a car and maybe take a nap and then go to the skate event. But yeah. but that's my choice. I can't complain. It's what affords all these things? Yeah. Yeah. And what's the thing you're most proud of? Would you say that um, managed to raise really stable, fun children? through all this chaos and, and commitments and, you know, the, the fire of success. Yeah. That truly they're grounded and appreciative and, and that they treat people well. It's a great quality, yeah. Yeah. A couple of final questions. This one is something I ask everyone at the end of the show. It's called the three truths. So I want you to imagine that you've achieved everything you want. You've had the relationships, dreams, the kids have grown up and done everything they want to do. And, uh, you get to decide when it's your last day. It could be hundreds of years from now. It could be whenever you want it to be. It's your, <laughs> okay. last, your last day here on earth, right? <laughs> yeah. You choose. It's a happy moment. But for whatever reason, all the things you've created, you've got to take with you. So you can't really leave anything behind. You've got to take it all with you. But your family gives you a piece of paper and a pen. And they say, well, you write down the three things you know to be true. From all your experiences and lessons, the three lessons you would leave behind are truths. Mm -hmm. And this is all we would have physically, tangibly, to be reminded of you, besides our memory. What would you say are your three truths? Wow, the easy questions last time. Um, <laughs> Gotta warm you up for Three it. truths, I think people deserve respect. You have to believe in yourself, and you should help others that can't help themselves. Mm. Uh, do you feel like you're doing a good job of helping others? Yeah, through my foundation, I do, absolutely, yeah. Right. You work um, with a lot of kids in your foundation, right? Yeah, we help provide public skate parks in low-income areas. And so we help people get the resources or, or jump through all the right hoops for them to get a park built in their area. And, and we've been doing it for 16 years now and, and helped to fund almost 600 parks. So I feel really proud of that, of, of our work there. And, and I mean, I guess that, you know, that third truth would be somewhere between that and, and um, you got to give back. Yeah, be of service, yeah. Be of service, yeah. If someone wants to donate or they want to nominate a location for your foundation, where can they go to support that? Yeah, uh, TonyHawkFoundation.org. All the info's there. We, we literally have a guide to public skate parks, getting a public skate park wow, in your area. It's not, we don't, we try to empower communities that are already trying to help themselves. So we don't just say like, we need a park in X city and we'll go build it and we get all the glory. We want to empower the communities so that they feel like they have a sense of ownership and, and they pride. take care of it and yeah. Yeah, and also that the, they're the ones that, that did the groundwork for it. Mm -hmm. But we're giving them the, the map in order to get it done. Yeah. And where do you where can we connect with you personally or online or where do you hang out with social um, media platforms? Tony Hawk on all platforms. Are you on Instagram mostly or um, I, I, Facebook? I spread it across. Facebook is weird with all their algorithms, things kind of get buried right? and it seems to be less traction there unless unless you want to pay for it. Right. And I'm not one to pay for it. So if you find me there, that's great. But I think, yeah, my, my Instagram is probably my go-to and, and my stories. Cool. Insta stories. Yeah. 
right, we'll check you guys out. Yeah, because I find myself in absurd situations. And You're just like, I have to film crazy. This. Yeah, I mean, just like last night, we went to the Spy Who Dumped Me premiere and found myself between Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon with their their poster behind them. Like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> in the shot. Yeah, right. So we'll check you out there. We'll make sure to follow Tony on all those platforms. Before I ask the final question, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Tony, for being an incredible inspiration to so many people. For me as a kid growing up and watching that one moment in time and then watching everything you've been able to do afterwards, it gives a platform and an opportunity for me to see this is a model that I could live for my life and lots of other people. So, Well, thank you very much. I, yeah, I, want to, I just want to acknowledge you for your generosity, your kind heart, and your humility. I think that I love the fact that you say, you know what, I'd be doing this anyways, even if the money wasn't here. I know you have obligations and things you got to show up for, but the fact that you love your art and your craft and your sport that much is truly inspiring. So. Oh, yeah. I still, still, selfishly, the fact that we get to build more skate parks, is, I get more places to skate. There you go. <laughs> exactly. All over the world, but you got to <laughs> yeah, travel. Exactly. I love that. Uh, this is the final question. It's what is your definition of greatness? Huh. Pushing boundaries while still being approachable. That's, that's my best. Love it. Tony, thank you, man. All right, Appreciate sure. you thank very you. much. Appreciate it, brother. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Make sure to share it with your friends. Spread the inspiration. The best thing you can do today is to listen and consume and learn something new for yourself and develop your mind, develop your ability to grow, to think differently. And then you've got to spread the message. You've got to share the journey with other people. You've got to share what you're learning about yourself, what you're learning from other people, and share it with your friends. So take a screenshot of this. Tag me on Instagram, at Lewis Howes. Tag Tony, at Tony Hawk as well. Let us know what part of it you enjoyed the most. Share it on Facebook, Twitter. Text a friend the link. It's lewishouse.com slash 674. It's all about breaking limitations and creating a legacy. Tony Hawk has done that. Again, every single week, our goal is to bring you the most inspiring individuals in the world to help you unlock your greatness, to bring you wisdom, information, stories, tools, resources to support your life each and every day, to get you clearer on the vision for your life, your dreams, your goals, and really the meaning of your life. What is the purpose and the meaning of your life that brings you the ultimate fulfillment? Why are you here? We're answering these questions, we're giving you solutions, and we're hopefully creating the incredible experience for you each and every week. I love you so very much. And as Jim Rome said, all good men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we could only imagine. Think about that. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.